listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. And all the time, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15 is where we'll be this morning. And uh, we have quite a lengthy passage of Scripture, but I do want to just go ahead and throw the gauntlet out that any guy that wants to challenge me in golf, please show up this Saturday and you'll probably win. But anyway, uh, we would love to have you if you'd like to be a part of that. Also, if you're saying, you know, I would like to take the next step of baptism and I want to talk to somebody, well, at the end of our service, you can go to our next steps room, which is to your right as you leave. Pastor Ethan will be there and some others, and they would love to help you uh, walk through that. Or if you're watching online, you can text into the text number 407-338-4024 and say, I want to take the next step of baptism, and we'll talk to you today. And and if, we, uh, if you're ready to do that, we will do that this evening. Well, let's stand as we read God's Word. Genesis chapter 15, a lot of ground to cover this morning and a short time to get there. Let's go. The Bible says, God says, Genesis 15, verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, how, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my household to, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And I'm sure on Sunday morning you weren't expecting to hear a verse like that. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that's not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And as for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, verse 17. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot, fire pot, and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. You may be seated. How many of you have ever struggled with doubt? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever struggled with doubt? Listen, if you are honest this morning, and I hope that you are, we all have. There are things that happen and things that don't happen in our lives that make us want to question absolutely everything that we know. Now, over the years, I've heard some very pious Christians say, Pastor, I've been a, I've been a Christian all my life, and I've never doubted God. And I want to look at them and say, well, I doubt you are a Christian. 
This week has been a very tough week, just to be honest with you. Starting last Sunday, we had, uh, at least in my life, a young man by the name of, of Zierik who tragically died in a car accident. He's a football player with Seminole High School, and as you know, I'm a part of that team. And, and we went through that this week and, and, and talking and, and trying to think through it all. A senior uh, that, that was tragically killed in that car accident. We also had, in connection to some people in our church, a baby that was born with very severe disabilities, and he, she died this week. Uh, Just think about that. There have been riots and violence in the street. There's political tension and turmoil. This this morning, I I was was told that there was a a pastor in Orange City who was arrested for uh, possession of child pornography. There there is corona apocalypse that's going on. And if we're honest, there's so many different things. And maybe your life this week has been absolutely horrific. and, And it's easy for you and I in these days like this to lose our confidence and to begin to doubt. Well, this morning we're going to talk about that. Charles Spurgeon said that doubt is a foot poised to go either forwards or backwards in faith. Listen, you only will go forward in your faith when your foot is firmly planted on the promises and the love of God. And that's what we've seen in this series. Abraham is a man who is walking by faith in a very messy world. And if, if you remember, he was called to leave the known for the unknown. He was called to trust in the God of the impossible and to take his hands off of his life so that he could be a blessing to others. And as we read his story, we're going to see he has highs and he has lows. He has good days and he has bad days. He has victory and he has failures, he has faith, and he has a lot of doubts. And yet, the Bible tells us that Abram is known as a friend of God, as the friend of God. In Arabic, he is known as Khalil Allah, or El Khalil, the friend. And so this morning, we're going to see a conversation between God and his friend Abram. And in chapter 15, we're going to see that it records this conversation where Abram was honest to God about his doubts, and God demonstrates his commitment to Abram. So let's just begin here with the doubts of Abram. In verse number 1, the Bible says, after these things. We didn't go through verse uh, chapter 14, but what you get in chapter 14 is Abram has just rescued his nephew Lot. You remember Lot made the decision to go towards the city of Sodom in the well-watered plains. And it was there that Lot got into trouble. He got into a lot of trouble. That was a good one. He was captured by four local uh, tribal kings. And Abram takes 318 men traveling over 240 miles to rescue Lot. You think about that. 813 men traveling 240 miles. There was no cars, no helicopters. They were on foot or on some sort of animal. And in, in, in in the aftermath of that, after the great victory that God had gave Abram, Abram recognized that it was impossible without El Elyon, without the Most High God. Because there is no one higher and there is no one greater than our God. And in that moment, he experienced a great spiritual victory. But yet, after a great spiritual victory came a great spiritual low. Because just in reading the text, there seems to be some fear and some trepidation in Abram's heart. He was perhaps experiencing some PTSD after this great battle that he experienced. And so in the midst of that, in verse number 1, the Bible says that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, this word vision, if you want to underline it, it's the only time in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of of the Bible, that the word vision is used. It's typically given in reference to prophets. And so God here wanted to give Abram a special revelation that had tremendous clarity. And so what God says to him in this vision is this, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. He says, Abram, 
I am your shield, and without me, you have no shield. Abram, I am your reward, and without me, you have no reward. And see, what God knew in that moment is Abraham needed to hear that. Do you know that God knows what you need when you need it? God is a God who will, in different circumstances, in different situations in your life, will speak to you in a way that you need in that moment. And in this moment, Abram needed to hear that God was his protector and his provider. And so how does Abram respond? Does he say, wow, thank you, God, that's, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I feel so much better now. Thank you. No, that's not how he responds. In verses 2 and 3, he, he immediately says to God, God, yes, you are my shield and my reward, but you know that kid you were talking about? Where is he? God, I am an old man. I am homeless. I am childless. I am tired. My wife is old and tired. And if I were to die right now, some dude we picked up in Damascus would be my heir. You promised me a boy of my own. Where is he at? He just experienced a great spiritual victory. And now God speaks to him. You think about that. God is speaking to him. How many of you would love for God to give you a vision and speak to you? And yet in this moment, he has the audacity to say to God, God, you know all those promises? Where are they? And what we see in this moment is that Abram is doubting. Why is he doubting? Because it's not been weeks since God gave him this promise. It's not been months. It's been years. Some scholars say that when Abram was between 62 and 75 years old, he received that initial calling in the Ur of Chaldees. And it was in Genesis chapter 12 that he was 75 years old when God gave him this promise of a son. And, and many scholars say that it's now been well over a decade and nothing has happened. Now, if you're in your 70s and God says you're going to have a kid, you would expect it to be sooner rather than later, right? So he and Sarah were not getting any younger. They had been trying and nothing was happening. And so here's a question that I want to ask you. Why wouldn't God just give him a son immediately? I mean, wouldn't that be easier? Well, why would God make Abram wait not a week, not a month, not a year, a decade? Here's why. It was to grow his faith. See, if God would have just given him what he had promised immediately, Abram would have rejoiced, but his faith wouldn't have grown very much. God had to get Abram to that place where he felt helpless and hopeless so that Abram would cast all of his hope on the divine promises of God to give him strength. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe he's led you to a valley or a dry place or a scary place where all you have is him. And he's not doing this because he hates you. He's doing this because he loves you and he wants to teach you and he wants to grow your faith. So maybe what God is doing in your life, what seems to be his delays are not his denials. What seems to be his disappointments are actually his appointments in your life because God is trying to grow your faith. And so verses 4 and 5, God speaks again. And God speaks to him in a, in a very sympathetic way. He takes him outside. He wants to show him a visual illustration. He shows him the stars. Now, this is before any kind of light pollution. This is when you can go out. I've actually been out in the Judean wilderness in the evening and saw the stars in the sky. And what God says to Abram is this, is that that, that guy from Damascus is not going to be your heir. You're going to have your own son. Just, just look out, Abram. Look at all the stars. Just, you try to count the stars. Do you know that there are 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way? Now, God wasn't saying literally you're going to have 100,000 million children. But he says, just try to count them. And in that moment, God was saying that, the, that I am the creator of all those stars, and the creator of all those stars in the sky is able to keep his promises to you. 
And so verse number six, the Bible says a very familiar, a very well-known and an important passage of scripture in verse six, that Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That he believes God in the absence of a son. He trusts God at his word. And the Bible says that God took that faith and credited into Abraham's account righteousness. And in that moment, his faith justified him before God. That here in this moment, he is justified before God, not on the basis of his goodness or his performance to God, but by faith alone in the promises of God alone. And this is the justification by faith in which we find in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3 that the apostle Paul will talk about that man is saved by faith alone, justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And in that moment, he was standing before God just as if he had never sinned. So many people ask me, how were people in the Old Testament saved? And a lot of people kind of have some confusion because they think that people were saved by sacrifices. But the, the way people in the Old Testament were saved are the same way people in the New Testament today are saved. In the Old Testament, believers believed that God would keep his promises and send the Messiah and guarantee their future. In the New Testament, we believe that God has kept his promises. So the only difference between the Old Testament believer and the New Testament believer is the Old Testament believer looked forward by faith, and today we look backward by faith to what Christ has done in Jesus, what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so verses 7 and 8, God speaks to Abram again. He says, I am the God who has got you where you are. I took you from where you were to where you are now. And you are going to get what I promised. And how does Abram respond? He says in verse number 8, he says, O Lord, Adonai, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now you read that and you say, what? Say what? Didn't in verse number 6, didn't it say that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness? But when you read in verse number 80, he says, how am I going to know that I am going to possess it? That here you have a statement that is made by this friend of God that sounds a lot like doubt and a little like faith. And what you see in Abram's life is the tension that all of us have. And that is the tension of living, that tension of faith and doubt. See, doubt is an inevitable thing for believers. Just because you're a believer, just because you're saved, doesn't mean that you don't have any doubts. Now, when it comes to doubt, there are kind of two views, especially among religious people. There's a conservative view that basically says you can't have any doubts, that if you're a Christian, you can never doubt anything. As a matter of fact, everything that the church tells you, you are to believe. Everything that you read, you can never question and never have any kind of skepticism. You must never question, you must always do, and you must never have any doubts. And if you have any doubts, then you're not a good person. There's a liberal view, and which is kind of our day, the day of skepticism, that says you should question everything, that you should doubt everything, you should believe nothing because you don't want to be fooled. And those are kind of the two pendulums in which a lot of people live in, either the conservative view that you don't doubt anything and question nothing, or the liberal view in which you question and doubt everything and believe nothing. And so God knows that we struggle with doubt. Do you know that? God knows that you struggle and in the Bible, if you read the entire Bible, God neither encourages doubt, but he never discourages doubters from coming to him. 
See, every time Abram doubts God, what does God do? God responds to the doubt. He's like the dad who looked at Jesus and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, the first step for any of us that we can do in dealing with our doubts is actually being honest about our doubts. That, that some people in the, in the liberal view in which they constantly question everything, that they live and commit themselves to their doubts so that they don't ever have to believe. And yet what God may be calling you to do is to question your doubts, to doubt your doubts. See, Abram's doubt is twofold. Number one, he doubted God. In verses, one and, in verses 2 and 3, he says, you have given me no offspring. You promised me all these kids and I don't even have one. You haven't come through. And so his initial doubt to God is that I'm doubting that you are able to do what you say you're going to do or you really don't love me like you say you love me. It is a doubtful distrust. So here's his question to God. Here's his doubt question. God, how can I trust you? It's been two decades. Are you really going to come through on that promise? And that's where some of you may be. Some of you right now, you're, you've gone through life. Maybe you're watching online. Life has been unfair. Things have been hard. You've waited so long, and based on your situation and based on your circumstances, you're not even sure that God exists or that he even cares about you. We have a, a gentleman getting baptized this afternoon, and uh, he, he says one of the things that kept him for years from becoming a Christian is that he struggled with doubt. He had a lot of questions about God. He had, he had questions that bothered him so. And he said it was that doubt in his mind that he doubted God. He'd seen some different things in his life. And he saw how some people that call themselves Christians weren't really that Christian at all. And he began to doubt and, and he began to put that and project that onto God. And he began to have doubts. But he never doubted his doubt. He never questioned his doubt. He just continued to doubt. And in his mind, he was like, God, how can I trust you? And that may be where some of you are this morning, that you're in, you may come to church and you may like to come to church, but you have doubts in your heart and you will never really doubt your doubts to really give your life to God. But not only did Abram doubt God, but he doubted himself. See, on one side we doubt God and his goodness, but on the other side we doubt our ability to keep up. He says in verse number 8, how am I to know that I will possess it? Notice the, the main pronoun there, I, I. Prior to that, it was you, you. Now it's I, I. And so the question that he asked himself is this, how can I trust me? How can I trust me? Because God, I've been pretty unreliable. God, what if I mess this whole thing up? What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my faith and I make fools of us all? I'm afraid that I can't keep it up. I'm not good enough, God. I mean, listen, you saw when I went to Egypt, I lied and said that Sarah was my sister. And I almost goofed the whole stinking thing up. What if I'm not the person you need me to be, God? And some of you this morning, you may be like that, that you will not commit your life to God because you are afraid you can't keep up your side of the bargain. I don't know how many times I've had people sit in my office or I've spent time with them and I tell them about the gospel and they'll look at me and say, I'm not ready yet. And I'll say, why? Because they say in their minds and they'll even say with their mouth, I'm not good enough to accept that. I won't keep it up that if I actually give my life to Jesus, I'm not sure I can actually live the Christian life. Well, let me just tell you one thing right now. There's only been one person ever lived the Christian life. And his name was Jesus Christ. And if the Christian life is ever to be lived, it must be Christ living it in you. But see, every doubt you have, 
every doubt you have is either rooted in your distrust in God or your distrust in yourself. It's either that you doubt that God is good enough or you doubt that you're good enough. But here's some good news. God isn't afraid of our doubts. He's way more concerned when we fake it. And so the best thing that any of us can do this morning is to be honest about our doubts. And that's the doubts of Abraham. He's very honest. He's speaking to God like a friend. Saying, God, I I believe, but help my unbelief. And maybe that's where you are this morning. And if that's where you are this morning, I have some great news. Because now we're going to see the demonstration of God. I love God. And I love how he deals with Abram's doubt. In verse number 9, God responds. Notice he doesn't condemn nor does he criticize Abram's lack of faith. He just says to, he says to Abram, bring me a heifer, bring me a goat, bring me a ram, bring me a turtle dove, bring me a young pigeon, and bring me a partridge in a pear tree. Actually, he didn't say that. God didn't tell him what to do with those animals because Abram knew what he was going to do with those animals. Abram here, we don't, when we read this, we're like, why do you need all these animals? Well, what we don't necessarily pick up when we read this, Abram picked up immediately because he knew that God was about to make a covenant with him. God was about to interact, engage into a contract with Abram. See, we live in a Western culture, and in our Western culture, everything is pretty much written down. So if you have an agreement that you want to make sure will be enforced, you write it down. If you don't write it down, it doesn't necessarily stick. We have contracts. And so if you have somebody that you enter into a contract with, and they don't keep up their end of the bargain, the contract will say, here are the express consequences and penalties. Attorneys get paid tons of money to make very elaborate contracts. And so, you know, over the years, I've, I've been in and out of contracts. I've done different things. I've, I've done some work in my house, uh, and I've done some work in my house with a contract, and I've done some things in my house without a contract, and I've learned the hard way, right? You only learn sometimes the best way, the hard way. But I want you to imagine that you have some work that needs to be done on your house, and for some of you, that doesn't, that doesn't take a lot of imagination, just imagine there's some work that you need to be done in your house and you want to get a contractor. And you have this contractor come out. And you show him or her all the needs that you have and you look at them and you say, Oh, great contractor. How can I know that you will do what you say? How can I deal with the doubts of my heart and how can I sleep at peace at night? And the old great contractor says... I will sign a contract. Thus my name, contractor. And in this contract, I will expressly say that I am willing to pay a penalty if I do not do what I say I'm going to do. So in this situation, Abram didn't live in a Western written down culture. He lived in an oral culture. Covenants weren't so much written down, but they were acted out and dramatized. And in in ancient Canaan, animals were cut up in half, and each party would walk through the pieces. Now, I wanted to, and my staff stopped me. I was going to get some stuffed animals out and cut them in two and show you how it works. But they said, don't do it. You'll, You'll scare the kids. But just imagine. Now, if some of you, this is your first time in church, you're like, These people are nutso. No, this is historic, okay? 
And so what they would do when you were going to enter into a covenant is you would cut up these animals and there would be a river of blood that splashed on your robe and you would walk through the pieces. And, and when you walk through the pieces, here's what you were saying. If I don't keep my end of the covenant, may what happened to those animals happen to me. Literally, the Hebrew is karet barut, which is to cut a covenant. Now listen, this may be a more effective way the next time you're trying to talk to a contractor. What you do is when you've decided you just cut up some animals and have them walk through a river of blood, and you say to them, if you guys don't do what you promised, may this happen to you, all right? You may get better prices and quicker work, all right? <laughs> just think about that. And so what happens is, is that the Bible says in verse 18 that on that day the Lord made a covenant. He karut barit. He made a covenant. He cut a covenant the infinite, omnipotent, omniscient God entered into time and space and agreed to this cultural contract with Abram. But what he did in entering into this contract was so stunning and so amazing to Abram because what it did is it dealt with Abram's doubt that Abram had with both God and himself. And so let's see how this took place. In verse number 12, the Bible says that as the sun was going down, covenants in this day were made at sunset. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a dreadful great darkness fell upon him. There was an inner dread, a horror, a terror. Abram was having another vision in which he felt this incredible heaviness and burden. God then makes him some promises in verses 13 through 16. And one is that, Abram, you're worried of dying, but you're going to live to a ripe old age. Abram is about 85, maybe 90 years old at this time. He's going to live to be 175 years old, a ripe old age. In verse 17, that as Abram was there, he saw the pieces. He noticed that there was a smoking pot and a flaming torch that passed through the pieces. Now you say, what in the world? This just seems like crazy town. I've never read this in the Bible. Here's what this is doing. Here's what he's showing. Those words, flaming torch and smoking pot, are, are words that are used to describe God's presence. On Mount Sinai, when God came on Mount Sinai, there was this smoke and there was this flame in the exodus when God's presence was among his people it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and so when Abram when he sees the pieces there he knows it typically in a contract that they are both to walk through them but he notices that it's just God who walks through the pieces who doesn't walk through the pieces Abram doesn't walk through the pieces in a commentary on Genesis, the commentator says that in those days when a king cut a covenant with a servant, the servant walked through the pieces alone because it assumed that the king would keep his end of the covenant. But this is the only covenant in recorded history where the king goes through and the servant does not. What is God doing here? Now stay with me, okay? God is vividly demonstrating to Abraham that if God fails to keep up his side of the covenant that he will pay with his blood, that he will die, that the immutable God will become mutable, that the infinite God will become finite, that he would die. He swears on himself. But not only does he swear on himself that if I fail to keep up my side, I will die, I will be cut off. But by not having Abram walk through the pieces, he's saying to Abram this, Abram, if you fail to keep your side of this covenant, I will pay with my own blood, not yours. 
See, in this moment, God makes himself both liable and responsible for both sides of the agreement. See, Abram, God is saying, if you doubt me or if you doubt yourself, don't worry. Because I will pay the penalty either way. You can trust me. I'm willing to do this. You may be afraid that you can't keep your side of the bargain, but don't worry. I got you covered. You know how crazy that sounds? It's be like this. Imagine you go this afternoon to buy a car, brand new car. And you're signing the contract. And on this contract, here's what they say. Here's your car. If your car is not what we say it is, or if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, we'll pay the penalty. We'll give you all your money back. And then you read the fine print that continues and says, but if you don't make all the payments when you're supposed to make the payments, don't worry, we'll make the payments for you. Sign me up, right? We're going down to the Lexus dealership this afternoon, amen? You see how crazy that is? If we don't do what we say, we pay, you pay nothing. If you don't do what you say, we pay, you do nothing. And what happens in verse number 18, this is very important, that as soon as God made these promises and Abram saw that God walked through the pieces, the verse number 18 says that on that day the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. That is, it was signed, it was sealed, and it was delivered. It was done and over, and it was without Abram going through those pieces. And what this is is a unilateral, unconditional covenant. God is saying this to Abram. I'm going to bless you unconditionally. My failures and your failures won't keep you from being blessed. I will be torn apart, not you. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. Because Abram did fail, and so will you, and so do I. And just like Abram was in a deep sleep, we're in a sleep, a dreadful sleep, the sleep of sin. But then Jesus came. Then God came. Mark chapter 15, verse 35, the Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross to be torn apart, not for his sins, but for our sins, a great darkness fell upon the whole earth. Jesus' blood flowed out of his side like a river. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, that he was cut off from the land of the living. And in that moment, on that cross, Jesus died, not for his sins, but for our sins. He died so we don't have to. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you understand that he took our sins and our sorrows? And he made them his very own. He bore our burden to Calvary. He suffered and died alone. Where were you and I? We should be the ones dying. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. See, Abraham saw this and it gave him confidence to believe. God's demonstration of his commitment to him assured him of what God would do and how God would see the promise through to the end, even though Abraham's going to mess up. Praise God. See, listen, I want to end with this. True confidence in life does not come from within. It comes from what God has done for us. Now, this is a statement you need to leave with. God's commitment to you, to me, is greater than my commitment to him. You leave that up there. God will always keep up his end. 
and he will always make up for where you and I mess up. This moment for Abram did not mean that it was the end of his doubts. But this moment, this pivotal moment in chapter 15 was that moment in which he could put his anchor down deep in the love and promises of God. Great love leaves little doubt. See, in life you need an anchor. In life you need to set your anchor to keep your soul from drifting away. I'm not very nautical. Um, I've been on a few boats. I get very seasick. Like, if I'm on the ocean seasick, I get in a fetal position. As a matter of fact, the last time I was out on the ocean, I was with a brother in our church, taking my son for his birthday. I had, I took like 18 Dramamines. I had the watch that zaps you. I was in fetal position for three hours asking God to kill me. About eight or nine years ago, I was asked by Alan Hoops to go shrimping for the very first time. Alan is a seasoned shrimper. He's a seasoned fisherman. So we went to Oak Hill, and we went out, and we, it was in the middle of the, the night because that's when the shrimp come out. The current comes in. And we set sail in the boat to Mosquito Lagoon. Now, it's called Mosquito Lagoon because there are a ton of no there and mosquitoes. But that's where the shrimp are. And so we were finally there setting up. I had no idea what we were doing. And Alan said, hey, there's an anchor at the stern of the boat. I want you to take it, throw it out. I'm going to put the one at the bow, at the bow, and I'm going to throw it in, and I'm going to set it for us. And I said, okay. Now, in my mind, I'm like, where is the stern? And so I guessed. I had a 50-50 shot. Those of you that don't know, the stern is in the back of the boat. The bow's up at the front. I take that anchor, I toss it out, he takes his anchor, he tosses it out. We get set up. It's a lot of work to get set up. We're setting up, we're waiting there with nets in hand, and all of a sudden, the boat starts drifting on one side. And he looked at me, and he said, when you tossed out that anchor, did you set it in something? Did you set it? And basically, he wanted to make sure it wasn't just dangling in the water and that it was actually clinging to something below. And I looked at him, and I was very honest, and I said, Alan, I don't know. <laughs> and so he took the anchor up. He cast it out. He set it, and we didn't drift anymore. I learned something that night. You know what I learned? An anchor is useless unless it's gripped on the rock. Every one of you put your anchor down into something. It may be your family. It may be your money. It may be your talents or your good looks or your ability or your morality or your religion. But none of those things are strong enough to hold you up when the winds and the waves and the currents of, the life, of this life come to you. See, the only way that you and I are ever going to make it in this life is we have to make sure that our anchor is gripped on the solid rock. And I've got good news. We can put our anchor down in the rock. And his name is Jesus. That when Jesus went under the waves of God's wrath, he didn't move. And if you are anxious this morning, and I'll be honest with you, I was anxious before preaching this message this morning. If you're doubting, it's because your anchor is not gripped to the rock. It may be gripped on something. It may be gripped on a sand. 
It may be just in the water. And if you doubt God, and if you doubt yourself, look to Jesus. Jesus is the rock that will not move. And some of you need to do that. You're fearful, you're doubting, you're anxious. Behold what God has done for us. In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, you have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And some of you, you need to take a step. Maybe this morning you set your anchor by giving your life to Jesus. That you say, you know what, I'm going to believe and it will be counted to you as righteousness. Some of you need to give your life to Jesus. Others of you, one of the ways you can set your anchor is by being baptized. Is by saying, I don't care, though they all forsake him, I will follow him. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning out. Though they all forsake me, though my family and friends tell me not to do it, not to follow Jesus, I'm going to set my anchor down in Jesus. I'm going to obey God and leave the consequences to him. Maybe you this morning need to set your anchor down in the promises of God to get you through the junk of this world. Whatever it is, there's an anchor that holds. And I pray that you'll put your anchor down today. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for this holy moment. And I pray, Lord, for those watching online and those listening on the radio, those that are here in this room. God, that your Holy Spirit would do a work that only your Holy Spirit can do. Father, I pray that for those that need to step out in faith and put their faith and trust in Jesus, the rock that doesn't move, that God, in this moment, that they would pray and trust you. Maybe, Father, today they would pray a prayer like this. And if you're here and you want to trust Jesus, you can pray to him right now. Maybe they would pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know, Father, that I have wronged you. God, I can't keep up my end of the bargain. But I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I give you my life. I trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray you give strength to those who need to make that decision for baptism. Father, that they would step out in faith. That maybe they would send in a, to the text number or they would go to the next steps room as soon as this service is over and say, I want to take that next step of baptism. Father, I pray for the rest of us in this room that you would help us to put our anchors down in the deep promises and loves, uh, love of Jesus so that we would not be shaken. I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.